good morning. You can have a seat today. Thank you so much, Matt and worship team, for leading us this morning. It is so good to see you here today. We have a jam-packed service today, and you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, what does that mean? I can't tell you. It's a secret, but I promise you, when the surprise is unveiled, you'll know it, okay? It is so good to be here. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Newtown Road, and it is a joy to be gathered in God's house with you this morning. Trust that God will do what we've been praying and asking him to do, that he'll open the word, that he'll open our eyes and our hearts and help us to see him in the pages of the scripture. And our study through the book of Mark is going to give us one of those opportunities this morning. So we're here to do what we do each week. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to ask God to speak to us through the Bible. And I'm going to do my best to try to communicate and explain what I, what I sense the Lord is teaching us about himself through the Bible. All right? It's really basic. It's not very glamorous. It's not very showy. And it wouldn't make for a good bumper sticker or t-shirt. But that's what the church is sustained by and built up by over the last 2,000 years. And we're just going to keep doing that until he comes. Does that sound good? Good. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 5. I, I didn't switch gospels on you. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It gets a little weird today, not going to lie, all right? Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Told you it gets weird. I wasn't lying. One of the weirdest sermons that in this entire book, but one of the most powerful statements of the authority of Jesus that we'll see. There's a couple things we're going to point out and make some application, but most of it centers on this demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes. 
The first thing we see this morning is he is a bound man. He is a bound man. Jesus and his disciples, remember last week they were rowing through the night, sailing across the, the, the Sea of Galilee, and they came up upon the storm. Jesus instantly calmed the seas. The disciples trembled. They were afraid. They said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Again, with the authority of Jesus over creation. Well, they arrived at their destination, which was the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the country of the Gerasenes. Jesus' mission has now brought him to the eastern shore of the lake to bring healing and freedom to a man who was otherwise hopeless. This represents the first expansion of Jesus into Gentile territory. It was very interesting. Remember we said last time, Jesus left the crowds. He had to climb out onto a boat. So many people were coming to hear this message from him. So many people were pressing in on him that they had to come out, he had to come off the shore into a boat and teach them all day in parables. And he says, let's leave the crowds. We're going to the other side. And we said last week, how weird is that? That here he has great ministry success. Here, here are the thousands pressing in. No, he shouldn't leave. He should, he should go multi-site. He should start new campuses. He should send new people. We should, we should build a bigger building. All these people should come in. He said, no, I have to leave. There's, there's a, my mission takes me somewhere else. And where does it take him? To this one guy? Absolutely. To the one who was lost. To the one who needed to hear about the freedom of Jesus. So he gets to the eastern shore, and the Bible says immediately as he touches ground, immediately as the boat lands, somebody comes to meet him. And it wasn't exactly the welcome party that you would hope for. It was the man afflicted by an unclean spirit. Takes us back to the early chapter of Mark, right? Remember Jesus is teaching with authority in the synagogues, and one with an unclean spirit shouts out, we know who you are, Jesus, son of the most high God. And he says, shut up. Be quiet, come out of him. Takes us right back there. We've seen his authority. We know he has this power. But I don't know. He's up against a pretty big fight today. We're not talking about one unclean spirit. This is a, this is a mass of unclean spirits. This man comes to meet him out of the tombs. This man with the unclean spirit, this demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes, lives in the tombs. He lives among the graves. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. In just a moment. And Mark tells us that he has an unclean spirit. That there is a clearly within him a demonic presence. An evil, rebellious spirit presence within this man. And he was unclean. That doesn't mean that he was dirty. Although, that might be true. I'm sure hygiene wasn't the top of his priority list. Because he was controlled by an unclean force. It means that he was ceremonially unclean. He was living among the dead. He was, he was kept from God because of the unclean status of his life. He was possessed and controlled by unclean spirits. And he made his dwelling among dead bodies. He was cut off from the benefits of God's covenant and blessings. He was without hope and without help in this world. And he comes out of the tombs, isolated from his family and friends. Isolated from anybody. How many of you grew up in a town with that one crazy dude that wandered and your parents said, stay away from that guy? That's this guy, right? We would go out 
to ride our bikes. My mom would say, hey, have fun. Be home by five. Stay off of 4th Street. You know that's where that dude is. Here it is. Go out, have fun, ride your bike, stay out of the tombs. The crazy man with the demons is there, right? He was separated and isolated from everybody, tormented day and night. And the description of this man is heartbreaking, isn't it? Now, the first few times I ever heard this story, it alarmed me and frightened me. And rightly so. It's pretty scary. And I saw this man as the presence of evil. But as I, as I grow in the Lord a little bit and I keep studying, my heart is actually more broken for this man than alarmed by him. Maybe the Lord would help us today not see him as an alarming, um, disfigured mess, but instead see him as Jesus might see him, as a sheep without a shepherd who's harassed and helpless. If he could change his situation, he would. If he had the power within him to liberate himself from the presence of this demonic force, he would have liberated himself by now. He is bound trapped, enslaved, held captive against his will. And Jesus looked out on the crowds, you remember, and he said, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And do you remember what he did when he said that? He sent us. He sent us. Jesus looks at this man as a sheep without a shepherd. Maybe today for us, Newtown Road, maybe we will see this person and all the people in our lives who resemble him, not as the evil people or the enemy, but as those who are harassed and helpless, held captive by an enemy that they can't even recognize. He lives among the tombs, making his dwelling among the dead bodies. The Bible says no one could bind him anymore. A couple things to see here. Any of you children of the 80s? Remember Goonies? Right? Okay, remember how Sloth would keep breaking the chains? They had to go back to steal them from the zoo. He kept breaking the chains. Those of you who have never seen Goonies, shame on your parents, right? That is an assumption. No, I'm, I'm sorry. You might want to check that on Common Sense Media first, but I loved that movie as a kid. All right, this guy broke the chains. What the, two things it tells me. One, he has superhuman, unnatural strength that whatever is possessing and controlling him is also giving him power beyond that which is ordinary for humanity. And the second thing I see is that this man has been bound by chains and shackles. He has been so... The, the image of God, the dignity of an image bearer of God has been so distorted by the presence of the enemy that he's been treated like an animal. Can we see that? He has been reduced... From an image bearer of God to a caged animal. And that, my friends, is not alarming, but heartbreaking. And you and I, right now today, in our circle of friends and influence, have people whose sin has so distorted the image of God in their lives that they have been reduced to their animalistic urges. They are not the enemy. They are harassed and helpless. And they need a word of liberation. They need a word of freedom. They need a word of triumph over the chains in their lives. My friends, we have that word. No one had the strength to subdue him. 
We call this foreshadowing. Sometimes my wife and I will be watching a movie, and I am notoriously detail-oriented. I can't fix it. I can't help it. I'm sorry. It, it creates a lot of problems for me, not going to lie. And I will lean over to my wife six minutes into a movie, and I'll go, uh-oh, we call that foreshadowing. And she'll say, what do you mean? And it's ten minutes in. I know the end. I, I know how this is going to go. I, can, I pick up on the cue. There's a reason Mark says this. For years, for this guy's entire life, he's been shackled and chained, broken those chains, and then Mark adds this beautiful statement. Nobody has been able to subdue him. Nobody can control him because of this demonic presence that has been controlling him. Sets the tone for what we're about to see, and it's true. For this man's entire life, no one has been able to stop these animalistic urges. No one has been able to hold him back. But that's because he's never met Jesus until today. Up until this point in his life, there was no power he could grab onto that was strong enough to break the chains that he was under until today. I imagine they had tried a lot of different methods to bind this man. I think of this story we're going to look at next week, the, the woman with the issue of blood who'd been humiliated and spent her entire life savings trying to fix her health issue and was left worse than when she had started. And she suffered much at the hands of the doctors and the physicians. I imagine that this man, as they tried to treat him and deal with him, has suffered much at the hands of those who were trying to protect him from himself. No one had the strength the Bible says night and day he cried out, almost like an endless torment, crying out from the tombs. And the Bible says also that he was cutting himself with stones. Self-mutilation. This demon-controlled person was so distorted in his thinking that he listened to the voices in his head and began to carve his hands and his arms with sharp stones. We must never forget that the enemy's tactic is to steal, kill, and destroy. He seeks our harm. He seeks our harm. My friends, is, is it any wonder that in our current generation, the trend of self-mutilation is so high? Generations and generations of people growing up apart from God, without hope and without help in this world, listening to the voices of our enemy, destroying and mutilating their bodies. The enemy seeks our harm. He seeks our destruction. These people are not the enemy. They are being influenced by our enemy. Big distinction. Big distinction for the church of Jesus to hold on to, especially during an election cycle. By the way, this is not part of my notes, but can I go on record as saying my least favorite time to be a pastor is during election cycles. I absolutely despise them. And can I just make this disclaimer? The kingdom of Jesus is far greater than right or left, than Republican and Democrat or Libertarian. And in the end, the enemy is not the people across the aisle. The enemy is not those who are struggling with identity and gender concerns. The enemy is not those pushing some agenda. The enemy is the enemy who is harassing and, and influencing and driving people that we know and love. Can we please stop treating people as though they're the enemy 
and see our enemy for who he is. Anyway, night and day, he's cutting himself with stones. Before we move on, it would be wise for us to consider how closely this man represents all of us. And you might say, hold on a second, Matt. Mercifully, I've never been controlled by thousands of demons. Praise the Lord for that. That is a good gift. But, apart from the liberating work of Jesus Christ, apart from his righteousness that we draw from from faith in the blood of Christ, apart from that reconciling work that he did to unite us again in Christ, we were without God and without hope in this world. That's what Paul tells us. Hopeless and helpless. We were sheep without a shepherd. We were not following Jesus. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were being led astray by our own desires, reduced to animalistic urges. He is not, this man is us. And there were times in our lives where if we could have set ourselves free, we would have. But we were unable. We lacked the power. We lacked the wisdom. We didn't even know where to turn for the help. And we tried it every way we could, didn't we? Some of you are here this morning, and you're still trying. You're here because somebody brought you. You're here visiting a friend. You're in town. You just wandered in, and you're not sure why. And you're not a follower of Jesus, and you find yourself identifying with this thought that something's broken and wrong inside, and you can't fix it, and you're trying every way you can to drown out the pain, to quiet the voices. And you're helpless. And you feel like you have no hope. This man is us apart from Christ. He is all of us. Being influenced and controlled by the enemy of God. Working through his forces and his minions. Separated from God, we all are unable to control and subdue our sinful lives. Oftentimes, in Christ, we struggle to control our sinful urges and desires. This man is bound. But secondly, today, we see him as a free man. He runs up to Jesus, he falls down, and he worships him. He's at his feet, he falls down. He's not worshiping, he's falling down in fear. That's the point I'm trying to make. He recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. They don't yield themselves to his leadership yet. They're just frightened. The posture here is one of a condemned man begging for mercy, right? This man, controlled by this spiritual force, recognizes that Jesus is more powerful than him, and his days are numbered. He's about to receive the largest whooping he's ever got, and he's begging for mercy. So he falls down at his feet. He says, what do you want with me, son of the most high? Identifying him loudly so everyone knows who he is. And he says, don't torment me, which is kind of interesting because this guy has made his life tormenting this man who he's oppressing. Now all of a sudden he's begging for mercy. Don't torment me. What an irrational request. As we saw in chapter 1 and also chapter 3, this proclamation of Jesus' true identity was an effort to intimidate him, to out him before he was ready to short-circuit his plan so that he would be revealed as the Son of God before he was ready to reveal that information. And Jesus, in a power play, asks him, what's your name? He's speaking to the demon. He says, 
legion, for we are many. The word legion is the, is the name of the Roman military unit containing somewhere between four and 6,000 soldiers. That is not to say definitively there were four to 6,000 unclean spirits in this man, but the point is there were many of them in here. And they begged him earnestly, don't send us away. Don't send us into punishment. Don't send us into torment. Instead, here's a, they're looking for a concession in the defeat. We know we're going to lose, but would you throw in this? Soften it a little bit. There's a herd of pigs over there. Can we enter them? Swine are unclean? Sure. Jesus grants their request, begging for permission. He's still in charge of this situation, you notice. He sends them into the pigs. They leave the man. They leave the man that they had been oppressing. They now possess the pigs, numbering close to 2,000. They charge down a steep hill and drown in the lake. This man has been liberated. He's been set free in that one moment. Just think about that. His entire existence, he's been bound and shackled, dealing with the shame and the irrationality of being controlled by this unclean force, reduced to an animal, treated like a caged animal. And in a moment, in one moment, at the word of Jesus, all of it changes. He is just like us, bound and shackled to an enemy we can't even identify until the word of Jesus, the message of the cross, sets us free in an instant and we're changed. He was a bound man, he's now a free man, and he's a commissioned man. The herdsmen fled and told about it. Who are these herdsmen? Probably the guys responsible for the 2,000 pigs that just drowned. They just saw an encounter that's going to leave them uh, with nightmares for a while. That's pretty weird. Unexplainable. There was a power encounter that went on that causes them to realize they are not in control. So they go back into the city and the country and they tell everybody they meet this crazy story about the pigs who just drowned. Because if you see something that powerful and you see something that glorious, you want to tell somebody about it. So they came to Jesus because they wanted to see for themselves. They weren't going to take the crazy herdsman's word for it. They might be lying. Maybe the herdsmen sold the, herd, the, the pigs and they were just trying to cover it up. They wanted to come see this guy for real. So they come to Jesus and they see the demon-possessed man for himself. He's been part of their community for a long time. They all knew who he was. And when they saw him, they saw him clothed. Luke, Luke when he records his story, tells us that the guy runs around naked screaming and cutting himself. They see this guy clothed and in his right mind. He's not crying out. He's not cutting himself. He doesn't have that wild look in his eyes anymore. He's in his right mind. He is subdued by the Spirit of God. And their response is fear. Not joy. Not happiness for this guy who's finally been set free. Not excitement. Their response is fear. And the people sitting near them shared the story of what happened. No, no. 
He confronted the dude with the demons. The demons came out of him. They entered the pigs. The pigs died, and this guy's fine. Crazy story. And I imagine that in that moment, these frightened townspeople asked themselves the same question that Jesus' disciples asked themselves the night before. What manner of man is this? Who is this miracle worker that not only sets people free from disease and sickness, not only teaches with great authority, can control the wind and the waves and control the spirit world? We are in the presence of supreme power. And like Isaiah, in the presence of holiness, these men are acutely aware that they are not holy. And they want Jesus to leave. We can't deal with this kind of strength and power. We are, we're not worthy to stand in the presence of this power. We're afraid of what the presence of this power brings to us. And Jesus, as he's leaving, is approached by this man. And he says, can I come with you? This is perfect. Again, in our Western capitalistic mindset, this is a great marketing tool. Bring the guy who up until 10 minutes ago was controlled by demons and put him in front of the crowds. Bring him out. Let him dance around and do his song and tell the people what happened. This is a perfect illustration. Why wouldn't he want, we want to bring him? He's the perfect illustration of the power of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't come. And we might look at that and think, man, that's so ridiculous. What? This guy loves Jesus. This guy wants to be close. This, Jesus just delivered him and set him free. He wants nothing more than to be with him, to be one of his followers. He doesn't want to let him go. He might be afraid that he'll slide back into some other kind of unclean status. Maybe these demons will come back. He might be afraid. He, he just wants to be close. And Jesus says, no. No, you can't come. You can't come. I won't permit you, which sounds a little bit harsh. But then, then he explains why. He says, son, I have a job for you. No, you, you don't get to come with me right now. I've provided healing and deliverance for you, and you have a job. I want you to go home. I want you to tell your friends. I want you to tell them what the Lord did for you. I want you to tell them how he had mercy on you. The reason he didn't allow him to stay with Jesus, the reason he wasn't willing to hoard his resources is because he wanted to commission him and send him to tell other people what the mercy of God had brought in his life. This is the message that all of us in Christ carry, isn't it? This guy, here's the crazy thing. This guy doesn't have a whole lot of maturity or growth. He hasn't been through MacArthur's fundamentals of faith yet. Right? He didn't take the basic Bible study. He surely didn't enroll for classes. He doesn't have any kind of certification in faith evangelism. Right? He doesn't know how to knock on a door and say, excuse me, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? He knows none of that. And yet Jesus sent him. There is a word for the church in that. Far too long we have leaned on the, the trained people as the ministers of the gospel. And we have felt 
that we were ill-equipped or unable because we didn't have some letters after our name, which is a lie from our enemy. The Holy Spirit of God empowers you at conversion and gives you all that you need. And he empowers a message for you to carry. And what Jesus did in your life, that message is sufficient enough to tell other people about what he can do for them. That's what he says to this guy. Look, you, demon-possessed man, who finally got some clothes on today. Go into town, heal up, tell people what I did for you. There's your job. Guys, can we, can we just call a timeout right there? We are so afraid to engage our neighbors and our friends because we're scared they're going to ask us a question we don't know the answer to. You remember when the man born blind was confronted? And they said, who is he? He goes, look, I don't know who he was. I don't, I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't, know, I don't know how you'd explain him. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I can see. Some of us need to just get past that discomfort and be okay to say, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but here's what I do know. I was strung out on drugs, unable to help myself, and the message of Jesus set me free. I was addicted to alcohol, drinking away depression and fear and shame, trying to cover up a lifetime of abuse, and felt like I was unworthy until the gospel set me free. And I don't know what you call him, but I call him Lord and Savior today. There, there is a message in that, that you don't need a degree, you don't need a discipleship course to carry. You just need an encounter with Jesus. And by his grace and through faith, many of us have had that encounter. And he did it. He went through the city and he did what Jesus asked him to do. All right, so what? It's my favorite part of the sermon. So what? What does that mean for you? Mercifully, thankfully, we aren't controlled by thousands of demons. Very few of us have ever encountered that. Some of us have, and it's crazy. Wild stuff. What does it mean for me right here today? Here's the thing. While this type of encounter might be extraordinary in the details, the realities are still present in our lives today. This man is a startling and accurate depiction of, uh, uh, of unredeemed humanity, of fallen humanity, of men and women who live apart from the grace of Jesus. They are not controlled by God's Spirit. They are not controlled by a force that desires their joy and abundant life. Instead, they are following the prince of the power of the air, led astray by their desires but to an enemy who seeks their harm and destruction. Apart from Christ, this is where we all are. Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep without a shepherd are? They're aimless, and they're listless, they're malnourished, and they're vulnerable. They're easy prey for the wolves. Do you know what people without Christ look like today? Their souls are malnourished. They're lost they feel hopeless and helpless. They lack purpose and direction. They don't know why they're here. don't know what they're, what they're here for. They don't know why they have this ache in their heart that can't be solved by the things of this world. They don't know why every road they chase, every road they walk down leads them to a dead end. 
They're harassed and helpless, separated from God and cut off, aliens and strangers in the land. They are tormented and controlled. And maybe we need to recast the labels today. Maybe we shouldn't call them demoniacs because it doesn't really connect with where we are. Maybe we should think of them as as helplessly influenced by dark and spiritual forces. And maybe we should call them addicts and alcoholics and workaholics and helicopter parents and self-righteous religious people. Maybe we should call them that. Obsessively controlled by some dark force and not the Spirit of God. And maybe we should realize that even after Christ, you and I daily are under attack, not by flesh and blood, but by spiritual forces in the heavenly places seeking our harm and destruction. How else do you explain people controlled by the Spirit walking in forgiveness, returning like a dog to its vomit to sinful patterns? What is leading you astray? The forces of darkness? Seizing? I'm not saying the devil made you do it. You're responsible. Don't get me wrong here. But the forces of the enemy capitalize on that fallen humanity in us. And when lust conceives it brings forth sin and sin when it's finished brings forth death the world we live in has become experts in self-medication and pain numbing but this is still our base condition separated from God cut off from his promises hopeless and helpless without God in this world regardless of the degree of comfort that American consumerism has given us regardless of where you vacation and how your 401k looks regardless of what size house you live in and how nice your car is, regardless of the notoriety or the, the fame that you have and the degrees after your name, regardless of all of that, our base condition remains the same. We are bound and shackled to an enemy that we cannot even identify. And the only hope is the life-giving message of Jesus. And apart from him, this is where we all are. Secondly, we see today that the lordship of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to displace the leadership and control exercised by our enemy. Where is the hope for fallen humanity? It is in the life-giving, freeing and liberating submission to Jesus. His power and his control, his lordship is strong enough to displace the control of the enemy in our lives. And it is only his power and control that is strong enough. Because Jesus is greater and stronger and mightier than all the demons and all the armies of hell. James reminds us in our reading for our Newtown 20, we read just this week, that you do well to believe the demons believe and they shudder. They know exactly who he is. He's stronger than them. Our friends and our loved ones, hopelessly held under control by the tyrant's boot, need liberation and freedom from their condition. If only there was a way for God's rebellious and harassed creatures to be free and to find joy in the leadership of Christ. If only there was a mechanism, if only there was some message that we could share with them to help them find freedom. The third point today is the most important point. The word of Christ, the message of his gospel is still the key to freedom. The message that the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom, the lordship, the rule and reign of Jesus is now here and near in Christ. That the only response to that lordship is to repent and believe in Christ. That message still sets people free today. That message is still the only thing that can set people free today. 
our only reasonable response then is to forfeit our past attempts. Cast aside our attempts to fix ourselves and turn now today to receive the grace of Jesus. And in so doing, Christ powerfully displaces and overthrows the leadership of our enemy in our lives. And the Spirit of God occupies and controls us, no longer legion, no longer demonic forces. The Spirit of God now moves in us, controls us, grows us into maturity and Christ-likeness. The Spirit of God works in us to bring about God's plan for abundant and joy-filled life, not our harm and destruction. How pressing and urgent the need today. And maybe, maybe that's the point we need to really wrestle with this morning. This man represents fallen humanity like many of us were. This man represents many of our friends and loved ones and neighbors and strangers we're going to meet on the street. How pressing and urgent the ministry need today. That we, the church, the followers of Jesus, proclaim this message to people who are in need. How pressing the need to see churches planted. How pressing the need to see communities reached with the gospel to see families discipled, missionaries sent out, supported, co-workers and friends prayed for and engaged with the gospel. How pressing and urgent the need for you and I to stand up and take our place in this band of disciples, spirit-empowered disciples, who pray for and long for and engage with our neighbors in gospel conversation. Truly, we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't know about you, I've been ministering in the Northeast for a little over 14 years now. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing about that Barna survey. That, you know what I'm talking about. We are in the spiritually darkest place in the whole world. Yeah, I, I got that. I get it. But that's no, that's no concession of defeat, right? That's, that's not a, just because that might be the case right now. That doesn't mean we wave the white flag and huddle up in our bunker and say, oh, I guess we lost the battle. No, we've, we've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We've been called to this place for such a time as this. The ch- this, is, this is wild, right? This church, this body of believers has been called to this community for this cultural moment. Matt, you're kidding me, right? Secular humanism is winning the day. People are so concerned. We are rebelling against the created order. We're confused about sexual identity and gender. We're confused about same-sex marriage. We're confused about whether or not there is a God, if truth is real, if there's anything to stand on in the promises of this book. Are you telling me that the church is poised for victory in this day? Yes! That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Because when this When this cultural moment collapses in on itself, something is going to have to rescue it. And every time it's happened over the course of the centuries, Christianity has stood ready to tell them a new story about a God who loved them and created them. And even though they fell and rebel against him, loved them enough to pursue them and win them back. And empower them with a message to tell so the nations might hear of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the the powerful, displacing reality of the lordship of Christ that when we turn to you in repentance and faith, you expel the influence of the enemy from our hearts. You take up residence there and you fill and control us by the power of your spirit. 
God, forgive us for the ways that we, we voluntarily offer our hands to be shackled again. Remind us of our freedom. God, we are not slaves to the enemy any longer. In Christ, we've been set free. I pray that you would strengthen your church, not only Newtown Road, but all like-minded churches in the Capital District. That you would strengthen them to preach this message of liberation and forgiveness. God, that our community would change. God, that the victims of, of addiction and alcoholism and the opioid pandemic that is working through our community, that the rash of suicides and self-mutilation, the rise of depression and anxiety and mental health struggles, that these people that we know and love would not be cast aside, but that they'd find freedom and grace in the message of Christ. Use your church here in the Capital District. God, we desire a day when that survey doesn't mean anything anymore. When what unites churches in this area is not the stain of being in the darkest place, but what unites us is the glorious message of the gospel and the banner of the love of God in Christ over this place. We want to see you a revival. We want to see you do it again. God, we desire that you would use us. Don't let us be afraid. Strengthen us for the task today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.